Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday the 30th of April 2019. Mark Pender is stateside and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Well, one way or another, there's a lot going on this week from central bank meetings, quarterly refundings, trade talks through to employment, GDP and inflation updates. So let's get stuck in right away. Mark, you seem to have a respectably robust economy and yet still no obvious inflation problems. So I'm curious to know, is Goldilocks alive and well and living your side of the pond? Because (laughs) the stock market certainly seems to think so. Well, the stocks, you know, stocks have been going up uh, uh, all year and you would really never know it. Uh, You know, we did get a a 3.2% GDP uh, growth rate. Um, last week for the first quarter, but that uh, the consumer uh, was only at a 1.2% pace. It was um, benefited, and residential investment contracted for a fifth straight time uh, quarter. So um, the consumer isn't really uh, in high gear here. And you're looking at the stock market, and it's going straight up. I think that really is um, because of, directly because of the lack of inflation that takes uh, the threat of uh, interest rate hikes from monetary policy off the table. And so I think that's what we're seeing also a correction from the big uh, end of the year collapse in the market. That's what we're getting now. Um, we have employment coming up uh, and uh, another solid uh uh, result is the expectation. I'm looking here. It's uh, the economy days uh, consensus is 180,000 for non-farm payrolls. That would be excellent. Um, but we can't forget just that would be for April. That just back in February we had a 33,000 uh, gain, which was a shocking, uh, you know, a- a- aberration. Hopefully, and we won't see anything like that. But it's still like, haunting in the background a little bit. Um, earnings, another inflation indicator. Uh, are going uh, look are expected to be subdued at a zero point two percent monthly gain for a three point three percent rate. Quickly interrupt you on your, while you talk about the employment report. What's the most important aspect of it now? I mean, is it you know the earnings side of it? Is it the headline payroll data? Is it the unemployment rate? What should investors be really looking at? I think it's the non-farm payroll rate uh, or the gro- uh, the growth uh, the monthly change in payrolls. Uh, right now, uh, earnings aren't really a threat. Uh, we just had the employment cost index this morning, uh, and this is a measure of uh, inflation pressures that employers pay to their employees. And it's near, it's come off a little bit, the expansion, of the 10-year expansion, uh, the highs. Um, you know, if you look at the charts, uh, uh, you know, unemployment has been going down and wages have been going up like they're properly uh, supposed to do. Um, but it, it's been limited and Jerome Powell has gone out of his way to state that the he's personally not concerned about uh, wage inflation uh, too much. Uh, and really, we had the core PCE yesterday for March and it was 1.6%, which is uh, significantly or measurably uh, below the 2% targets going in the wrong direction. So if anything, uh, a lift in uh, earnings would either be ignored or would be uh, directly welcomed. So I think that that's uh, taken off. The unemployment rate's very interesting because we're still drawing um, uh, discouraged workers uh, filling up the uh, available labor pool. Um, And as long as we can continue to do that, uh, there won't be any uh, stress there. It's is it a bottomless pit? We'll have you know we'll have to seek job openings. Of course, are way way up. Uh, so I think for the U.S., uh, it's um, 
uh, I wouldn't say growth yet is accelerating. The housing market is picking up because of uh, lower interest rates, but it, it really has had been coming down significantly last year. Uh, and manufacturing is in a is in a quandary, struggling around uh, report to report. One report good, one report bad, one report flat. And um, and again, consumer is uh, kind of kind of out in the woods somewhere still. But you know. I just want to say that um, we just had a gigantic rush of data out of Europe. And I just want to say, Jeremy, I don't know what, if you had an army helmet on, I don't know how you survived this. I mean, you had unemployment rates, you had GDP, you had CPIs. Tell us how, what, what, what in a nutshell, what, what, what all this meant. Yeah, I must say, it's one, it's one of those days when you really don't want to get out of bed in Europe. Um, okay, let's just quickly, sort of, as you say, in nutshell in terms of European statistics. Um, for a long time now, I think you've been talking about the sluggishness of a Eurozone economy and how it's been lagging well behind what's been going on, on on your side of the pond. But today, for once, we actually got some slightly better figures, although that needs to be put into context. So, on a concentrate on the two big ones, really, and that's the, uh, the GDP update and the inflation numbers. So, in terms of GDP, then this is for the first quarter. It's what Eurostats, the, uh, the stats people call the preliminary flash estimate. So our, it's our first look at headline growth in the Eurozone. Unfortunately, there's no sort of GDP components or indeed even a regional breakdown. It's literally just, just the headline. Now that came in on a quarter on quarter basis at 0.4%. So it's up from 0.2% last time and for once a little bit stronger than expected. Uh, we had France from the national statistics also released today. Uh, their growth was 0.3%, which was in line with the previous quarter. Spain, which continues to outperform, that was in at 0.7%. And Italy, people be pleased to hear, has moved out of recession uh, with their economy expanding 0.2%. Now, I'll say these numbers compared to expectations actually look half decent. However, I suppose if we go back to, was it last Friday, your GDP numbers, if I remember rightly, was it 3.2% yep, annualized? Yep, that's what well, um, yeah, so if we annualize our figures, at least the Eurozone number, we're still talking, what, little more than 1.5%. So if you like, it's kind of a step in the right direction, but there's an awful long way to go. Now, as I mentioned, one of the problems with the initial GDP numbers out of Eurozone is that they don't give you the breakdown. But just looking across what we can see at the moment from the, the national data, well, we know that as far as France is concerned, net exports added 0.3 percentage points to French growth. So that effectively accounted for the entire rise coming out of France. Um, Italy, from what ISTAT were talking, although I didn't give numbers, they also suggested that domestic demand probably contracted. And uh, what growth we did see was led by exports. So it kind of looks as if, although the headline data of the GDP numbers were half respectable, the risk is that we're still going to see relatively soft domestic demand. And if that's the case, then the ECB, when it next meets in June, ain't going to be happy. However... However, the good news, I think, of some which will cheer up the ECB is the inflation figures. Now, on Friday, we'll get the flash April report uh, for the eurozone, um, which is expected to see headline inflation moving up to 1.6 from a final 1.4 percent in March. And more importantly, the main core rate uh, rebounding back up to 1.0 from 0.8 percent. Now, the underlying assumption there was, as we talked a little bit before about on the podcast, is that Easter distortion 
proportions led to you know, a relatively soft March because of a later a late, um, Easter in April this year. And hence, we should see a rebound in April. Now, we don't know that yet. But what we saw coming out of Germany a short while ago certainly you know, lends support to that view. So German inflation, which was running at just 1.3% in March, has provisionally jumped up to 2.0% as far as the provisional April numbers are concerned. That's the highest it's been since 2018. Now, so that's what a 0.7 percentage point increase over the month and really strongly suggests, I think, that yeah, there are some Easter distortions in here. Now, I think the thing to bear in mind on this, though, is that... <laughs> April, clearly bulk of the effect came through in April. There may be some kind of unwound, unwinding to come through in May. And just to, to, to point out that May last year, we saw prices jump 0.8% a month, which is unusually large. So I think we probably will see some pullback in terms of next month's numbers. But if you put it together and you're a member of the ECB governing council meeting, you'll go into June's meeting with first GDP, first quarter GDP growth, which was stronger than people expecting. You've seen uh, at least evidence so far that you know, March softness in inflation was at least partly due to Easter effects. Things things are going to be looking a little bit, a little bit better there. So at least as far as it all goes at the moment, pressure for any kind of additional monetary accommodation you know, is that much less than we've seen before. What about the unemployment rates uh, data that we saw? Yeah, unemployment. I so say it's much akin to, I suppose, if, if there's one area where Europe is, you know, giving the US a run for its money, then it's really what's happening in terms of a labor market, which continues to be very strong. So we saw this is for um, the month of March, a decline of another, what, 174,000 in terms of a headline unemployment. That reduced the unemployment rate down another tick, okay, 7.7%, which Ina Lang for slight differences in measurement is still considerably above what you have on your side of the pond at the moment. But nonetheless, that's the best we've, or the lowest I should see we've seen in over a decade now. So this labour market is continuing to perform pretty well at the moment. And I guess that's one of the main hopes that the ECB will have for, you know, for looking for some kind of pickup in consumer spending, which at least in terms of the latest data we have available continues to be pretty sluggish. How about uh, Germany and the manufacturing slump there? Has that affected their unemployment? Not really, no. It's interesting at the moment. Um, we continue to see some still relatively decent numbers coming out of Germany. Um, in terms of uh, the latest we have on the, the, the sorry, on the, the latest figures for April, uh, we saw unemployment again moving down. Well, that is 12,000 uh, on a month-on-month -month basis. It, it didn't reduce the unemployment rate, but Germany at 4.9% is still got its lowest unemployment rate since we saw the, the, the reunification of East and West Germany taking place. Uh, many, many years ago now. So the German labour market continues to be pretty tight. One thing I would like to point out, though, is that you know, we have seen a le relatively sluggish period for German growth. It was interesting that they provide vacancies data within the, job, within the jobs report, and that showed its first fall we've seen so far in 2019. So it just may be, and this would be consistent with what some of the surveys have been suggesting, that the, you know, the tightness of a labour market is about to wane a little bit. So I think you know, that is going to be very much something to keep an eye on for investors, because clearly you know, what happens to the German labour market is going to have a huge impact upon economic activity in general in Germany, and that in turn is going to feed through into the rest of the Eurozone. So let me see if I got this right. So you said that German vacancies are down. They are. Okay. And so that is a cross-current for the ECB 
I guess, uh, uh, in their uh, policy debate, um, that would be uh, something that you would want to uh, guard against. Whereas if inflation is coming up and growth is coming up, um, then those are things that you might want to uh, uh, talk a little bit more hawkish. So is it going to be a hawkish spin at the ECB? And when is that meeting? And, and, and how would you uh, – the, the, the latest – the prior spin was dovish, right? And so what do you see now for the, for the next meeting? Prior spin was dovish. Um, Draghi, I think it's worthwhile pointing out the ECB president, very much sort of leans in that direction anyway. Um, next meeting will be on June the 6th, and I still think they're going to come out with a very cautious tone. Yes, they're going to be relieved that inflation has moved up, albeit possibly temporarily. We'll have to wait until next month's numbers to see. And yes, they'll be pleased that the real economy is showing at least slightly faster growth. But you know, the underlying tone of what's going on within the economy at the moment still looks to be pretty soft. And it's extremely question-marking as to whether or not, you know, if we continue to see the eurozone growing at 0.4% each quarter during the course of 2019, that that's going to be sufficient in its own right to move underlying inflation up towards this 2% mark. So I think at this stage, it's still very much the case that if we're going to see any kind of movement out of the ECB during the course of this year, it's going to be towards some kind of additional monetary accommodation. Obviously, we've still got things like these long-term targeted repos in the pipeline, but they won't take effect until, what, September. We've had the forward guidance extended and through to keep interest rates at current levels, at least through to the end of this year. But there's still the opportunity for them to tinker around a little bit if needs be. But no, bottom line, I think come June, notwithstanding the slightly better data we had today is going to be that they're going to stick with a, a pretty dovish tone. And what's their QE policy? QE policy at this, rate, at this stage is effectively they've completed their net asset purchases and uh, throughout the rest of this year, they're just going to reinvest um, sort of you know, maturing securities with a view to maintaining a steady balance sheet. So essentially quantitative easing during the course of the rest of this year is going to have a, a zero policy impact, if you like. And any expectations on them unwinding their balance sheet? At this stage, I think you've got to say no. Um, they've already intimated that, um, that effectively they're going to keep the balance sheet where it is for some time after we get the first hike in interest rates. And at this stage, the first hike in interest rates looks unlikely until, what, I suppose the middle of next year at the earliest, possibly uh -huh. after that. So I think the balance sheet's going to be flat for some while. So in historical terms, their policy right now is very accommodative? It is very accommodative, yeah, and that's a problem, I think, for the Hawks. So if you listen to what particularly the, you know, the likes of a German contingent are saying, they really don't like seeing you know, negative interest rates for the last chunk of the curve. I mean, their, their refi rate, their benchmark rate is still 0.0%. And there's a number of you know, more traditional hawkish central bankers who think, look, we can't keep running with a policy like this at some point. We must tighten. But the majority sense is very much, well, we can't really afford to tighten just in case this economy really is starting to enter some kind of you know, more meaningful slowdown. Um, okay, on another note, just where there is still a slight tightening bias, as you mentioned, we get the Bank of England meeting this week on Thursday. Again, there's not really too much to look for there, but again, in line with the Eurozone, we have seen some at least slightly stronger economic news out of the UK over the course of the last few weeks. Re but remember that the Bank of England already has a tightening bias in operation anyway. It's only a very light one, suggesting that rates will gradually keep creep upwards uh, during the fullness of time. Uh, but I expect them to reinforce that tightening, which you know, may be a small plus factor for the pound. 
The other news which markets will be looking at will be the updated quarterly inflation report. This will contain the bank's new economic forecasts in general. And given the way first quarter UK GDP is like to come in, we don't have numbers on that yet, but it's looking if it could be okay. It may be we'll see a slightly more optimistic short-term picture there, which again would at least be mildly positive news for sterling, given that, um, dare I say it, Brexit issues at the moment appear to be on some kind of hold. Um, if we round off before we prattle on for too long, this rest of the central banks from last week, just quite quickly mentioned there was uh, no change out of either the Bank of Japan or the Bank of Canada. But uh, looking at the entrails with regards to the, the BOJ, um, of note, they've, uh, they came out with their first inflation forecast for the fiscal year that ends on March 2022. That was 1.6%. So in a nutshell, they're, they're still short of a 2% target they're looking for. And presumably part because of that, they've extended their um, forward guidance on interest rates as well. And now they're expecting uh, to keep long-term interest rates at current levels for at least through to around spring of 2020. So that's a new kind of you know end date or possible end date for there beyond what they're talking about previously. And for the Bank of Canada last week as well, no change there. So their target interest rate remains at one and three quarters percent but they did cut their estimate of a neutral rate range from uh, by 25 basis points so that now stands at two and a quarter to three and a quarter percent so implicit within that then is you know reduced upside potential to interest rate from current levels so by and large where you look around the world at the moment i guess you still got to say the tendency is for at least the risk on interest rates is probably still down rather than up and I think, you know, the FOMC has its statement uh, tomorrow. Indeed, and FOMC, th- yes. And, and I think that that is, the, in a nutshell, I think that uh, Powell will be fighting off um, the uh, the indications of economic strength that we've been that have been popping up, such as the uh, last uh, quarter's uh, GDP rate. Oh, so and we'll, do you think uh, Mr. Powell will be quite happy this time? Because you better look back and say, look, we've done what we've done with policy. We've got the economy expanding at over 3%. Inflation's kind of doing what it's per- supposed to be doing. So <laughs> what's your problem? Well, I think, well, it, uh, yeah, I, you know, you could uh, look at that. But I think that there'll, there'll be a tension. I think that there'll be concern uh, uh, on, on economic weakness or uh, on price weakness. Um and, uh, uh, you know, it, the, the general expectation is we just had the Consumer Confidence Report out today uh, in the U.S., and it showed that um, a, a significant rise in, in every man's expectations for uh, interest rates going down. And, uh, and so that's, uh, you know, implied in there is a sense of concern that, uh, you know, uh, uh, things aren't going just exactly right, uh, that there's more risk of economic weakness than there is of economic strength. I think that that will probably be the spin we'll see tomorrow, uh, in tomorrow's statement. Okay, excellent. Um, I guess then we should pull this to an end, although quickly I should mention while talking of central banks, for anyone who fancies a move into the world of monetary policy making, just a reminder that applications to replace Mark Carney as the Bank of England governor <laughs> from next February need to be in by the 5th of June. Annual salary, a very reasonable £480,000. So that's wow. what, about $625,000. He makes more than any of them. Anyway, oh, I think. I've heard he even makes more than you do. Um, okay, so that's about it for um, for us for this week. So on behalf of Mark and myself, thanks as always for listening. We'll be back again next week. Now, where's that application form? <laughs>